Hello and welcome back to Don't Depend on Daddy, the podcast. My name is Michaela. I am your host and we are back today with our January Q&A. Before we get into the bulk of the episode, as usual, I'm going to go through a little bit of housekeeping. So first things first, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, don't forget to go leave me a review. It really, really helps push the podcast and grow the podcast. I have been saying this now consistently every week for a year. I'm trying to make my podcast bigger, better, reach more people, more informative, bring on more guests, make it more structured and just overall be a higher quality podcast for you to listen to. And so if you have been noticing those changes, if you've been listening consistently, please go leave me a review. It only takes a second and it helps me more than you know. The next, as usual, is if you are a listener of the podcast, you do get a discount code for the personal finance dashboard, my signature planning tool. That code is podcast one. It's valid forever. It's podcast only. I don't share it out anywhere else. So if you want to get your hands on the PFD, if improving your finances for the new year is something you want to do, check it out and use the code to get some money off. Next for housekeeping. Actually, that's the only housekeeping I really have this week. Um, I'm looking at my little script here. So that is another thing that I do is now I script out my podcasts a little bit more so that they're less wordy so that I don't use really any filler words. Somebody actually sent me a nice note recently saying that I don't use a lot of filler filler words and I don't say um and I don't say like a lot and that was a really nice compliment. I really try to not do that. Obviously, I'm not perfect, but I do try to like cohesively conclude a thought and not pause. It's a really hard skill. It's an underrated skill I think a lot of people don't realize just because We've been, as consumers, so desensitized to what goes into creating and producing content that is of quality on the internet. Like TikTok videos, podcast episodes, YouTube videos. Like You don't realize how much work and how much skill goes into being able to speak to a microphone or into a microphone or into a camera in general. And if you don't realize that, I would challenge you to try because it's not as easy as it looks, but that's a tangent. Next here is the money resource of the week. So just as a refresher, if this is the first episode you're listening to, every week I am sharing my favorite money resource. So that could be something I'm reading, something I'm listening to, something I consumed. And I've been trying, this is something I used to be really good at, but am kind of trying to get back into. I fell off at the end of last year. As you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, I had a bad couple of months. But basically, I used to read every morning consistently about personal finance. So that wasn't necessarily reading like books, okay? I'm not a huge book reader, but I like to read articles. I like to consume content. I love to watch YouTube videos. And so I would spend intentional time doing that in the morning to help me learn. And I fell off the wagon and I've gotten back into it. So One of my favorite places to read about personal finance is Medium, which is like an online op-ed news site. I wouldn't necessarily classify it as news because it's not like breaking news or anything. It's really like opinion pieces and just op-ed pieces from different writers, different authors, sharing their thoughts and opinions on different topics. And I love that because I love hearing other people's perspectives. I love hearing about other people's experiences. I love hearing like lessons people learned or mistakes people made. And I think not only is it good content to consume, it's really great inspirational content for me to use as, like I said, inspo 
for my own content and get ideas and ideate on topics that are interesting. So an article I came across was five money habits I wish I learned earlier in life. And the writer is named Jerry Rumor. And I'm gonna link it so you can go read it yourself, but I'm gonna share with you the five like high level topics here that he talks about. So the first was don't look rich, become rich. And the premise behind that is like, stop spending money on things you don't need, don't care about to impress people who don't care about you. Like true wealth is silent. So focus on building wealth instead of just looking wealthy through your outward appearance. Good lesson, especially when it comes to like lifestyle inflation. I feel like that is something that in the era of TikTok, a lot of people are struggling with right now and myself included, like Lifestyle inflation is a hard thing to avoid and wanting to live a certain way or exist in a certain way or appear a certain way is natural. You know, like you want other people to think you're doing well. And the easiest way to show them that is to dress nicely, have a nice apartment and have nice things. But you kind of need to make sure you're balancing doing that and also like accumulating wealth instead of spending all your money. Number two was invest in yourself. So investing in your skills, your knowledge, and your network has the highest return on, on investment compared to financial assets. I agree with this. I am a living, breathing example of this. I have spent so much time over the last couple of years focusing on learning more, improving my skills, expanding my reach, growing my brand, doing all of these things. And as a result of just focusing on that and honestly, truly grinding, learning, all the things. I've quit my job. I've quadrupled my income. You know, I'm doing pretty well right now. I've got a lot going on. So I would definitely recommend doing this. I think it's important to remember that in the world we live in today, you don't have to be special to be successful. And as long as you are willing to be consistent and put in a little bit of effort, you know, the formula for success is literally that consistency, long-term effort. If you want to be successful, do those things. The next one is don't try to beat the market. I feel like this one is kind of obvious, not really a habit, but basically the premise behind this is like focus on investing for the long term rather than looking for like a quick win or trying to earn a lot of money in the stock market really quickly. This is not something that I really ever talk about, but again, his perspective, the way that he said this was interesting to me. The next one is taking 100% ownership of your life. This one is big for me because I think, and this is my opinion, so I'll disclaim this whole what I'm about to say with this is my opinion based off of my perspective, so don't get mad at me. But basically, we get to a point in time where you are the one making the decisions of your life. And yes, there are going to be inequalities that exist and they do exist. And I think culturally, we're really trying to shift that and all be active participants in shifting those inequalities, whether they're racial, whether they're gender inequalities, privilege inequalities, you know, and oftentimes they're things that are outside of our control. Like you can't really control, I mean, I guess you kind of can control your gender, but you, you know, you can't really control the color of your skin when you were born. You don't get to choose the family you were born into. Like those are things you can't control, right? And obviously they influence your life, your life choices, you know, whether or not you are put in certain positions that make things easier or harder for you. Yes. But once you reach an age where like you are a fully functioning adult, you are the one who's making the decisions about your life at that point. And 
Again, everybody kind of is on a different playing field, starts with different advantages or disadvantages, and I don't want to, like, not acknowledge that because I think it's true. But we can't move through life forever blaming things outside of our control, right? Like, at some point, you've got to decide, like, this was the hand I was dealt. These are the cards that I have. What am I going to do to be the owner of who I am in my life, right? And I think that, you know, that comes with, being a self-sufficient adult, like you have to stop blaming everything else about why your life isn't what you want it to be and start actively being an active participant in the choices that you make on a regular basis. I hope that was clear, but this one I fully, fully agree with. Like stop being a victim and stop and start taking ownership of your life. Like the sooner you decide to do this, the faster and quicker your life is going to change and you'd be surprised at how quickly it happens. And then the last one is learn financial literacy. Building wealth isn't necessarily about making a lot of a lot of money. It's about mastering your money. Correct, 1000%. Like knowing what to do with your money is far more important than making tons and tons and tons of money. So that's really important to keep in mind. So that's my money resource of the week. It'll be linked in the show notes if you want to go read the whole thing. Quick little life update. I mean, in my personal life, things have been going fine. Um you know, socially, I've been pretty active, hanging out with my friends a lot. I've been doing like a dry January, not in an alcohol sense, but in a spending sense. And I actually just recorded a TikTok about this, so you can go back and watch it. But I did break that a little bit and I did do a little bit of shopping, but the money I used to do that shopping was money that wasn't part of my budget. It was money that I got from cash back from Rakuten, which is always linked on my links page. And it was also money I got from my grandma for Christmas. So every year my grandma gives all the grandkids like a hundred bucks. And so I took that money and I bought two new sweatsuits from Maritzia, one of which I am wearing right now. So in a lot of my videos recently, I have been wearing like a white matching sweatsuit. So I, have, I got the sweatpants, the sweatshirt, and the shorts. And I got the pants and the shorts because I live in LA. So like sometimes it's really hot, sometimes it's really cold. And I wanted to have both. So I was wearing that, I got that for Christmas and I was wearing it like literally every single day because it's so comfortable. I think it looks really good in my videos. Like I just liked it. And I had this moment where I was like, why don't I just get a couple of more? Like I'm gonna be wearing these all the time. And if I'm wearing it a lot, if I like the way it looks, like it's worth the money. They're obviously not super cheap, but they're not the most expensive sweatsuit you can get. I'll say that but they're not super cheap. I do think they're a really nice quality. I like the way they fit. So I did use that money to buy a couple new sweatsuits. I got this gray one and then I got it in black. So now I have three, I think I'm set for a while, but I do really, really, really like these. And I think it's a good lesson in that if you like something, if you like the way it looks, if you like the way it fits, lean into that. Cause I'm really picky about clothes and I feel like I'm at a point now with my wardrobe. I have a whole capsule wardrobe video if you want to go watch it um, on YouTube. But now I'm at a point in my wardrobe where I genuinely don't think I need anything else. Like the big thing that I had been lacking was nice loungewear that looked good because loungewear is so tough, right? Like you can have nice loungewear. You can have loungewear that's like really grubby and gross. And a lot of my workout clothes are nice. They're from Old Navy, but like I take good care of them you know, they are all the same color. So like everything sort of matches together, which was the whole point of my capsule wardrobe. 
but I didn't have any like comfy like sweatsuits, right? So that was really what I wanted. So I splurged on those. I broke my dry January a little bit, but I don't really feel the need to shop or buy anything else at this point. Like I really am happy with my wardrobe. So I'm gonna extend my dry January into February, I think, because I had set some spending guidelines for January. One was no shopping, which like I said, I broke, but for good reason. Um, and with intention and not with like theoretically my own budget money. So we're calling it a wash. But another one was eating out once per weekend, which I've been really good about. I think I maybe twice per weekend is probably more realistic going into February, but once per weekend, whether that be lunch or dinner, I've been good about. And then the last one was only buying coffee on weekends. I've also been really good about this, but I've been buying coffee Friday, Saturday, rather than like Saturday, Sunday, because I've been leaving the house on Fridays to like work from a coffee shop. So I think to amend that, it's more like only buying coffee out twice during the week, like full week, and it's really concentrated on the weekend. So if you've been struggling with like spending or you just want to reset your spending, I recommend setting some spending guidelines like that. If you're interested in hearing more about that and like how I approach those, let me know because I can probably do a whole podcast or like a whole segment in the podcast on how I'm approaching and changing my spending going forward. Um, I can also do a podcast episode on my capsule wardrobe if you want to hear about that as well. So let me know. Anyways, that was my life update. One other thing that I have going on, which I haven't shared really, but I just came off a meeting with my marketing PR team for my new book that is coming out in June. So coming soon, you're gonna be getting more info on that. I know that some of you guys listening to this have either guessed this or you do group coaching with me, so you already know, or you know we've talked or whatever, you've just figured it out, but I have been alluding to like a project that I've been working on over the last year and surprise, it's a book, it's done. Um, we're in the final stages of design. It's gonna be going to print soon. We're working on the cover, all of that. So we're in the last stages of actually completing it. And now we're moving into the fun part, which is marketing the book before it comes out in June. So the presale link is gonna be coming live very soon. I will let you guys know on the podcast for sure probably earlier than anywhere else. So make sure you're tuning in if you want those updates, but the presale link is gonna be coming soon. The book is gonna be $21.99. If there was ever a time where you wanted to support me as a creator, as a person, all of the work, if you listen to this podcast, if you enjoy literally anything that I say, it would be to buy my book. So more to come on that, but you guys are kind of getting the first scoop here on what's going on. So I just came off of that meeting. It was really cool. I'm so excited for you guys to see it because it's been a long time coming. It will get the proper announcement on YouTube and on my Instagram. But for now, enjoy being an insider here listening to the podcast because that is coming soon. And like, I'm excited to talk about it more. Anyways, that is all of the updates. And now let's move into the Q&A. So like I said, actually, I don't remember if I said this. This is going to be more of like a personal and a money Q&A. Um, just giving you guys my opinions on things as usual, off the cuff, no filter. If you don't like what I have to say, I don't really care. You can move on. That's the tone of this podcast. That's the tone of all of my Q&As. And we're just going to get into it. So 
The first question here, oh, before actually I get into it, if you want to submit a question for my Q&A podcast episodes, make sure you're following me on Instagram because what I do is I pull these questions from my Monday Q&A. Every Monday on my Instagram stories, I post a Q&A box where you guys can submit questions and when I'm doing these Q&A episodes, I go back through my archive and I collect the ones that I either got multiple times or that require a longer form answer. I select 10 of them and we do them in these podcast episodes. So if you have a question that you want answered, make sure you are following me on Instagram and submitting it in those cue boxes. Otherwise it won't get answered on the podcast. So number one is if I slacked on tracking my finances at the end of 2022, should I play catch up or start fresh? So If you slacked on tracking your finances at the end of last year, I wouldn't necessarily devote like a ton of time to go back and retrack everything. So this question was in specificity to the personal finance dashboard. I know the person who asked this question uses the PFD and she basically wanted to know like, I didn't track for like the last quarter. Should I go back and track all of those individual expenses or should I just wipe the slate clean for this year? I don't think you should do either of those things. I think you should kind of blend them together, right? So it's probably not worth going through and spending like two hours tracking every single individual expense that you made for the last three months of 2022. I think that would take a lot of time and it would be very tedious and it would probably make you feel overwhelmed and not motivated to continue on. Like that's kind of an exhausting task, right? So what I would do is pull a credit card summary for all of your spending and go through a spending analysis, like a spending review. And I talk about how to do this in my 2023 planning series. I also talk about exactly how to do this in the um, year-end financial review masterclass, which you can purchase. It's $25. It's linked in the show notes. It'll be available until January 31st, 2023. So if you want to go buy that and go through this process being guided through by me i would recommend you do that before it goes away but i would go through the spending analysis right just to get an idea of where you're landing spending wise for 2022 within all of your various categories that you spend money in so the last quarter of the year is important to get the full picture but i do find that the last quarter of the year is usually not a great way or not super indicative of how you're spending your money regularly throughout the year, right? Like Q4, you're doing Christmas gifts, you're probably traveling more, you're more likely to spend more money going out and going to holiday stuff and all the things. So I don't think it's like the mo- the best time of the year to gauge how you spend, but you do need to incorporate that into your full year spend so you can get your full year numbers. So I would recommend that you go through this review and then you start 2023 completely fresh. You use the numbers that you got from 2022 on your spending. So like how much did you spend on restaurants? How much did you spend on shopping? How much did you spend on travel? On all of these different categories and use those ending numbers to help inform how much you want to allocate in your budget towards these other things. This whole question I think really ties into the 2023 planning series, which is a free series on my Instagram page. If you are kind of at the standstill of like, what do I do here? I slacked at the end of last year. I need to put together a plan for this year. Go through that series because I go through different scenarios of like what to do, how to do it, exactly what to do, where to look. 
And all of that information is there in like an easy to digest way. If you are also putting together a plan for 2022, I would rec or 2023, I'd recommend downloading my financial planning checklist. That's a completely free checklist. Um, it'll be linked in the show notes, but it will walk you through the steps as well to put together your plan. And then if you need more help, you can always check out the four week financial plan, which is my course. That's $129. The next question here is, how do you keep from feeling overwhelmed with your to-do list? Um, I basically am always overwhelmed with my to-do list. I think, you know, I have a lot of things to do that are completely unrelated to each other. I produce a lot of content every week, so that just naturally takes a lot of my time. What I've been trying to do is really lean into planning and finding a planning system that works for me. And it requires trial and error. Like I don't have the perfect system right now. I don't have the perfect system yet. It's going to take some time. I've done a lot of experimenting, but what I did this year was I put together my own planner on my iPad and this isn't a hard sell for the iPad, but something that has really helped me get organized and stay organized has been using my iPad as a tool for planning. So my iPad is a creative tool only. I don't have any social media apps on there. I use it for creativity. I mean, I have YouTube on there, but I don't think that counts. I use it for creativity. I use it for planning. I use it for my business. I don't use it for mindless scrolling or like empty brain, you know, consuming stuff, right? So I created my own planner using GoodNotes. Um, I use it in GoodNotes. I created the planner in Canva using like a template that I adapted. And I made the planner in a way that works for my brain. So I think this is really important when it comes to managing tasks and stuff is you have to figure out what works for the way that you think and the way that you operate. So for me, that was like, what are my most important tasks every day? What's the theme of my day? So there are two key elements to my planner that sort of help me manage my to-do list and feel like I have control over my schedule, my life, and all the tasks I have to accomplish. First is a weekly planner. So this is where I lay out my top three most important tasks for the week, and then my work to-do list and my personal to-do list. And then there's a section for me to give every single day a theme. So Monday through Friday, every day is getting a different theme. So Mondays generally are like admin days for me, catch up days, email days, you know, wrapping up or closing the loop on tasks from the week before. Tuesdays are podcast days and days where I take meetings or make appointments. Wednesdays are usually YouTube days. So where I'm filming like a day in the life or I'm filming my YouTube video or whatever. And Thursdays are content creation and editing. And then Fridays are learning development, revenue growth, pushing the business forward. Obviously there are tasks that fall within those days that like may not be related, but the bulk of my day is themed around a specific type of task. This helps concentrate like I'm filming on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So the other three days of the week, I don't need to necessarily worry about being on camera. If I'm filming a day in my life on Wednesday and I have makeup on, I'm also trying to film TikTok content or, you know, be on camera a little bit more. Like I'm trying to get things to all meld into one theme on one day. Once I've themed out the days, then I go into my daily plan and I do my daily plan every morning if I'm feeling really good the night before. And I list out all the tasks for that day that I have to do within that theme, okay? So I have my three most important tasks for that day. 
Ideally, they all ladder up into the three most important tasks for the week because, you know, sometimes I can't get one of those tasks done in just one day. Like it requires a couple different days of work, if that makes sense. Um, and so I list out my three important tasks for the day. I map out the content that I have to post that day. I do a brain dump of my to-do list and then I high level map out what I'm going to be doing that day on a schedule. That has really helped me. Um, just manage my tasks, manage my to-do list, and focus on getting into a like state of doing deep work, which is something that I'm working on. If you haven't listened to the CoCast, it's a podcast by Dan Co. It's K-O-E is how you spell Co. Um, really, really great. He does this episode called The 4-Hour Workday, and basically his whole thing is like being really productive, optimizing how you work and getting into a sense of deep work and eliminating distractions. I am a huge on distractions. I'm addicted to my phone. I'm working on it. I struggle with focusing for long periods of time and I'm trying to train myself to do that. So that I think is a really important like concept to think about when you're mapping out your day is when can you get into the sense or the state of deep work, deep focus work. So that's really what I've been doing to help me from feeling overwhelmed. I also use the own your career template, which I've adapted for my business to help map out like business goals and then like business accomplishments and stuff because getting lost in the day to day is really easy and you can forget how much you actually get done. So I check in on that not every day, but like two to three times a week, usually at the end of the week too, to like do a little bit of a reflection on what I did. And it's been helping. I have thought about getting into Notion. So that's on my like to-do list, I guess. It's been on my to-do list for a while, but I would love to get optimized in Notion. I just know that it's going to take some time. So I'll let you guys know if I do that. I'll definitely be like vlogging it or showing it. Um, but that is something that is on my radar. The next question is, before Break Your Budget, did I ever consider becoming a financial advisor? And the answer to that question is yes. And I've still thought about it as I do Break Your Budget. The challenge is if you want to become a CFP, which is a certified financial planner and like be an advisor, you have to be affiliated with like a licensed group, right? And I don't want to do that. Like I don't want to work for someone else. I don't want to be in the business of asset management. Like I don't want to be touching other people's money. But I love the whole financial coaching aspect. I would love to get some sort of certification, whether that be just taking the CFP exams um, and you know learning through that regard of like how to actually approach someone formally from like a professional standpoint. Because I feel like I'm already kind of doing that, but you know there are nuances and things to pay attention to that you learn when you are a CFP. So that's something that I've considered. But it's not something that I'm like seriously doing at this point in time. But I did intern for a financial advisor. It's an area of interest that I have and that I always have had. And truthfully, if I didn't end up doing Break Your Budget, it's probably an industry I would have ultimately ended up in. The challenge is like to become a financial advisor, you have to do a lot of outreach, a lot of like, you know, to build up your book of business. It's a lot of sales. And also to like learn the business, you have to work for a financial advisor. The pay wasn't really that great. And yeah, those were kind of my initial deterrents from 
doing it, but it's never off the table. It's just not something that I'm focused on doing right now, let's say. The next question here is, what corporate job would you work if you were to go back to corporate after doing Break Your Budget? What jobs would you not consider boring? So one of the questions I got a while ago was like, what would I be doing if I wasn't doing Break Your Budget? And why, you know, I don't remember the exact question, but I had basically said in my answer that like a lot of jobs in corporate are boring. And I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, that being said, the jobs that I worked before doing Break Your Budget full-time were all within the financial industry. So I worked as an intern for a wealth advisor. Um, I did most of my internships like in that industry. I did um, two years in investment research, a year in investment consulting, and like two years in financial planning and analysis. So that's more corporate finance at a consumer product goods company. It was an alcohol company. And you know, all of those jobs were good in their own right. I mean, they had pros and cons, which I've talked about on my career journey episode, but they were all like all finance jobs, or not all, I don't want to blanket statement, but many finance jobs inherently can be boring or more dry. And in my corporate finance job, actually, I was managing like all of the financial planning for our marketing groups. And so there were a bunch of brands where I would oversee their spend, their budget, do all the analytics on that, um, forecasting, planning, variance analysis, the whole thing, PL analysis. And I was able to see like how or what you do if you're in a marketing job or if you work for a brand or that kind of role, I guess, in marketing. And I just feel like that's way more fun. So if I were to go back to corporate, which God willing, I never will, please go buy the personal finance dashboard, $10 off using the code podcast one. Um, if I were to go back to corporate, I would probably try to get a job that's more marketing or social media focused as opposed to finance focused, because I feel like now my skill set is much different. My interests have changed a lot. And now I have a lot more experience in media, marketing, advertising, selling, branding, product creation, um, community building, like all of those things. I have experience, I have uh, examples, I theoretically have like a portfolio of work. And that is something I'd be more interested in pursuing like marketing or social media as a career, as opposed to like working in the finance industry. I think my biggest lesson that I learned when I worked corporate was that just because a job sounds good on paper doesn't mean that you're going to like it. And I think I went into finance. Obviously, my interest is in finance or otherwise I wouldn't be doing this. Like I love personal finance. I love budgeting. I love investing. Like I love knowing about how money works, how to use it, how to optimize it for your life. That is an area of interest of mine. Finance in a corporate setting is really not of interest to me. And I learned that through experience, which I think, you know, when you're a young professional and maybe you just graduated college or you have a couple years where you're working, you don't learn what you do and don't like until you're actually working a job. And I think we always think that, you know, in college or, you know, you're thinking about your career, like I'm going to be 
a investment banker, like I'm gonna work in finance or I'm gonna work in engineering or I'm gonna work in STEM or whatever. Like you think it sounds really great or I'm gonna work in consulting, which disclaimer, my opinion is consulting sucks. I don't know anybody who likes working in, in consulting, but if you do, let me know. Um, but basically like you just think that all of these jobs sound really great and glamorous and they make you sound important and then you actually do them and they suck and it's not fun and you're miserable all the time because you have to slog to work every day and you're always at the whim of somebody else and I thought that's what I wanted because I didn't know that that's what the reality was and once I realized that the reality of working with finance is a lot different than what I thought it was and even though I could say oh I worked this specific type of job I wasn't happy like saying that I did that didn't make me happy it didn't make me feel validated it just made me miserable because I was like I don't want to go to work tomorrow I don't want to do this like this isn't how I want to spend my time and so if I were to go back to working corporate my focus would be on finding a job that I'm happy to do most of the time knowing that your dream job doesn't exist you know how I feel about that and that not that I'm not going to find my identity through my work like I would probably approach it with a different perspective but I would not go back to working in finance I would work in a much more creative fun kind of environment um, so hopefully that answers that question the next question is should you open a joint account with your partner when you move in together you know, you could. I actually have been doing a lot of research on this topic because I'm working with this brand this month called Tandem. And they have an app. It's called Tandem. I think their handle is use underscore Tandem if you want to check them out. Um, I'm going to be doing a couple of videos with them over the next couple of weeks. So pay attention to my Instagram if you want to see. But there, it's a really cool concept where it's basically an app that allows you to share bills with your partner without the commitment of getting shared accounts and without having to do Venmo back and forth. So I think a lot of couples will approach sharing their finances first with like a Venmo situation where one person's paying, the other person's paying them back. And then you reach a point where like maybe you're moving in together and you wanna open up a joint account. And I think opening a joint account is great and having that joint account for shared expenses but there's a lot of commitment there. And so like maybe if you're in a position in your relationship where you're moving in, but you're not engaged, so it's like could be a little too soon to have shared accounts or you're not totally sure and you don't wanna be in a sticky situation if the relationship doesn't work out, I think that's completely fair. Tandem sort of bridges that gap. And I think it's a gap that's huge in the market now that I've sort of done a lot of research on it. I don't have any personal experience with this because I don't share my finances with anyone at this point in my life yet. I am sure at some point I will. But for the time being, basically what they do is you download the app, you connect your accounts, and you can split the bills within the account just by like swiping essentially and it just automatically pays the other person back. Um, so like the transactions feed in and you select the ones that you want to split you can set up allocations too for like 70 30 or 50 50 or whatever based on your income or how you set things up with your partner and then you just swipe and it takes care of it it doesn't require you to venmo request anyone or ask like oh can you venmo me 50 dollars for this like it's just all already connected but you don't have to merge your accounts so that's something to explore. I don't have a link for them yet, but check out Tandem. If I do have a link, by the time this goes up, I'll put it in the show notes. 
Um, so yeah, should you open one? Should probably isn't the right word. Can you? Yes, but I think you should explore your options. So I would explore, you know, Venmoing each other if that's what you want to do. I personally am not a big fan of that because um, I look at, you know, the way that I, and this is my theory, that I want to approach sharing finances with a partner when it comes to things that you would Venmo, so like going out to dinner or things like that, is I split bills 50-50 with my friends, right? Or like if I go out to dinner with friends, we split the bill. If I'm going out to dinner with like my boyfriend or something, one of us is just covering it. Like I don't want to be in a situation with a partner where we're Venmoing each other to the dollar because that's just not the financial dynamic that I'm looking for. So that's where something like Tandem would come in really helpful for me if it were at that next step. So I think thinking about that is important, but also thinking about like, okay, if you're going to open a joint account, there's stickiness to that, right? So you've got to be in a position in your relationship where you're comfortable with that plan, where you're merging money that you're earning and it's going to specific expenses. So yeah, you could, but I think it's figuring out what works best for your relationship what is the financial dynamic you want to have with your partner? And are you able to openly communicate about that? The next question is thoughts on cold DMing companies or people you want to work for. You know, I think it's always great to shoot your shot. I would say probably cold DM people. So like maybe creators or influencers or something like if you're looking to be an assistant or maybe you have a skill set in something and you want to pitch yourself. I think pitching yourself is great. Doing that for companies, I probably wouldn't do. Um, I wouldn't, sl I, I think it works. I feel like I've heard of stories where it works, where people are super bold. But I think just in general, I wouldn't like DM a company on Instagram, like, hey, I want to apply to work for you. I would probably go to their LinkedIn first and I would apply directly to the role. Maybe think about ways that you can find connections with the recruiters so that you can send them a note, a thoughtful note just to be on their radar. But I don't think cold DMing a company for a job is a super great strategy, but I'm open to thoughts on that. Like, have you ever been successful doing that? If you are a use case for that, send me an email because um, I'd love to talk about it more because I'm not totally sure what the landscape is at this point. I feel like the lines lately have gotten really blurred on what professional rules do and don't stand anymore. I think it's very industry dependent. So like, let's say you work in a creative field and your Instagram is your portfolio. Probably you'd have a lot more success DMing like some company that you'd want to work for being like, hey, this is my Instagram. This is my portfolio. I'm interested in working with you. Like, do you have, you know, a general job rec that I could apply to or something or like a contact for me to get in touch with is a route that you could take. But like if I thinking back to my experience, like if I was trying to get a job at in finance, let's say I wanted to apply for a job at BlackRock, I wouldn't DM BlackRock's Instagram and be like, hey, are you accepting positions? Because they would literally respond and be like, go to our website. So I think it depends on the industry that you're in, if that's appropriate or not. The next question is how to change career fields when a recession is coming. So the recession thing is on the table, I guess, still. I mean, at this point, I don't even know. Like, are we in a recession or are we not? I'm not really paying attention to it anymore. I feel like it's just a lot of noise. Some people say we are, some people say we aren't. Some people, you know, technically we have been in one, but who, whoever you ask, there's a different answer. 
So when a recession is coming, obviously there are layoffs. So we've seen a lot of people lose their jobs lately and it's a bit alarming. So I can understand how there would be hesitance in trying to change jobs in general, but also trying to change careers during a period where there's a lot of job uncertainty or maybe you don't know if, you know, it's a safe bet. It's never going to be a safe bet. I mean, there are better times to leave your job um, than during a recession where there is job insecurity, but ultimately you know yourself better than anyone. You know your situation better than anyone. In general, changing career fields, you got to think about transferable skills and you have to highlight those transferable skills on your resume. So if the job that you're in right now is completely unrelated or not related enough to the job or industry that you want to pivot into, you have to think about how you can frame up your experience that you're currently working in to align with the requirements of the jobs that you're looking for if you don't want to start fresh. So what skills do you have that you've learned? Maybe it could be like communication skills or team skills or time management skills or project management skills or something. What skills can you highlight with specific examples on your resume to apply for the jobs that you're looking for? Because you can always say like in a cover letter or something like what your intentions are, like I'm looking to make a pivot, whatever. You can explain that in a phone screen. But to even get the phone screen, you really have to make sure that you're highlighting experience that's relevant to the job or that you have some sort of connection who can vouch for you so that you get the call. So really think about transferable skills. This is also a topic I could probably talk about in an entire episode. So I'm actually going to write this down. Uh, But transferable skills are huge because in every job, in every job, you're learning transferable skills. And I think that that's something a lot of people forget is like, even if the role that you're doing isn't what you want to do, you're still learning things in that role that can help you get to the job that you want to get to. Okay. So really think about like, what are the tasks that I'm doing every day? What am I learning from these tasks? What skills am I developing from these tasks? And how can I articulate these and morph these to sell myself in a different kind of role? So I use myself as an example. In my first job, I was learning a lot about like investment research, but also the technology behind how investment research works and and is implemented in big companies. And so I didn't really want to do that. So I thought about like, okay, what am I learning day to day? What am, who am I helping? What skill sets am I gaining from this? Like, you know, I'm gathering information from a lot of different places. I'm drawing conclusions. I'm analyzing this. I'm talking to these people. I'm, you know, presenting to leadership. I'm doing all of these things. And then the job that I wanted to be in was more customer client facing because I was moving into a consultant job. So it's like, okay, well, I presented to high level leadership. So I'm able to articulate a specific thought or present to a customer or a client or communicate something in a formal way. Like those are skills you need as a consultant. So think about like what skills are you getting now that you can do in this other job? Um, I think transferable skills is really the answer to this question. 
The next question is, once I max out my 401k and my Roth IRA, where do I put my money? Well, once you max out your retirement accounts, you know, the next investment account that you move into is a taxable brokerage account. As a disclaimer, this is not financial advice. I'm not telling you what to do, but basically the order of operations for investing is, you know, you're maxing out your 401k and your IRA because those are tax advantaged accounts. So with a tax advantaged account, you are reaping some sort of tax benefit, whether you're getting the tax benefit today or the tax benefit when you withdraw the money at retirement. That being said, since there are tax advantages, there are limits to how much money you can put into those accounts. And if you're in a position where you're able to max out those accounts, meaning you're investing, you know, $25,000 plus annually, depending on your goals, so maybe you have other short-term savings goals, but if you want to continue investing, you know, you need to open a, a brokerage account, basically, and you'd invest that money. How you choose to invest that money is up to you, what investments you choose to buy. It all really depends on your goals, your time horizon for what you need that money for, your risk profile. These are all really great questions to think about or sit down and talk to an advisor about. So something that I've talked about on my YouTube channel, but I haven't talked about on my podcast, I will likely do an entire dedicated podcast episode to this is I am considering working with a financial advisor um, the reason being is because my situation is unique, but there are a few things that I really wanted to do up front, and that was have an advisor put together a financial plan for me, and I wanted to do this for two reasons. One, for the sake of documenting it for these for my channel, for educational purposes, right? But also because I've never sat down with a professional as well-versed as I am in personal finance. I've never sat down with an, a professional who has... 30, 40 years of experience managing people's money and getting their perspective and getting their input and their advice and their guidance on if these are the goals you want to reach, like here's what I recommend doing, here's the asset allocation I recommend, like here's what you want to do. So I'm paying a fee for this work to be done for me um, over the next couple of months and then with that information, I'm going to decide if I want to move forward with the relationship and have them manage my money or if I want to take that information and implement it on my own. The likely scenario is that I'll take that information and implement it on my own, but you never know. I'm not I'm open to it. I'm trying to make a very informed decision. I think there is benefit to doing a fee only, so like a flat fee financial plan with an advisor if you're in a position where you're earning a higher income you're maxing out your accounts, you have assets. So let's say you have like 50K plus in assets and you're at a standstill of like, okay, well now I'm making money, I have money, my net worth is growing and like, I kinda don't know what to do. If you're at that point, at, that is a great point to consider getting some professional guidance. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to enter into a long-term client advisor relationship where you are giving them your money to manage if you don't want to. You can if you want to. Obviously, remember, there are fees that come along with that. But many advisors offer, you know, a one-time fee. So $1,000, $2,000. It's expensive, but the advice and the information can be helpful. They offer a fee or a one-time fee for in exchange for a financial plan where they will sit down with you, you talk about all of the goals that you have, everything you want to accomplish, what your risk profile is, what your situation is right now, and they help you put together some sort of comprehensive investing, long-term investing plan, okay? 
So this would be taking like the four-week financial plan course that I sell and going one step further where, okay, you've identified, you know, the direction you want to move in and how are you going to execute from an investing standpoint? So that's something the four-week financial plan does not go into because I'm not, like I mentioned earlier in this episode, I'm not an advisor. I'm not licensed. I can't provide that advice for you. So we don't talk about investing in that course. But if you want investing advice, legally, the only person who can give it to you is a licensed advisor. If somebody is giving you investing advice and they're not a licensed advisor, that's super, super, super illegal um, and you should not take it. So again, if you're at this point where you're like, I want to continue investing, I really don't know what to do, I need the help, that's a great time to talk to an advisor. If you're not at that point yet, don't talk to one. If you don't want to talk to one, don't talk to one. But it's something to definitely consider that I think a lot of financial influencers or people on the internet tell you to completely avoid. They're not necessary for everyone. And the relationship, the long-term relationship of them actually managing your money is not necessary for everyone. But that's not to say that they can't help provide you that launching pad that you may or may not need to have the confidence to make the decisions. There are also other ways you can do this, like with a robo-advisor or something, but that's not a real person, so it's a little bit different. So hopefully that answers that question. Um, But the cut and dry answer is after you max out your 401k and an IRA, you open up a brokerage account. The next question here is how to plan for tax season and filing my taxes. So basically... Tax season is upon us. My recommendation, I talk about this in my year-end financial review masterclass in detail. I'm running out of time here so because I don't want this to be over an hour. Um, I talk about this in my year-end masterclass that you can purchase, but basically you want to get a folder on your desktop or a physical folder, and every time you receive a tax document over the next month to six weeks, you want to make sure you're saving it in that folder so everything's in one place. And then you need to choose how you're going to file, whether it be with an accountant or with an online service, and go through the process. Everyone's tax situation is different. If you're a W-2 employee, you know, it's a little bit easier. But if you are someone who has a side hustle or you're making additional income outside of like a base salary or you do freelance or you work for yourself, your situation's different. It's more complicated and you may need different help. So I would recommend you check out that masterclass so that you can get a little bit more info. I'll probably do some posts on this over the next couple weeks too, but cut and dry. You want to write out a list of the things that you could, the, of the forms that you need, and you want to start gathering those forms as they come in so that you're not like digging for things or missing things. That's really key. The last question here that I'm going to end on is, Why do I still live in Los Angeles, a high cost of living city when I could work from anywhere? This is a great question. And the reason being is because I feel like LA has all of the things that I'm looking for in my life right now. And I did a whole podcast episode. It's called your third degree priority probe. Where should you live in your twenties? And it was basically a dedicated episode from the book, the restart roadmap, which was one of our book club books from a couple months ago. And Essentially, LA provides me with the lifestyle that I'm looking for, meaning I can live my life 12 months of the year. The weather is great 99% of the time. There's tons of activities, outdoor activities, you know, things to do that I want to do. So go to the beach, go to nice restaurants, um, enjoy the outdoors, have nice weather. Like that's the lifestyle I 
currently want to live and probably want to live forever. It has the lifestyle I want. It has the professional opportunity that I want. So obviously in LA, there's lots of people working for themselves. There's lots of opportunities to network. There's lots of opportunities for events. And just by nature of being here, physically here, I have had so much more opportunity than I would have if I was living in Boston. I feel like I'm able to grow my business here. I am able to do the things that I want to do professionally in LA. So there's the value add there. Um, And then also just from like a personal standpoint, I have a lot of friends here. I've built a life here at this point. I haven't been here that long, but I feel like this is kind of my place right now. Do I see myself living in LA specifically forever? Probably not. Um, But for the foreseeable future, I have no plans to leave. I really, really, really love living here. And I don't feel like the cost of living is that much more than any other major city, you know? Boston is equally as expensive. New York is more expensive. And I personally, like, the New York-LA battle, I literally don't understand why people like living in New York. You have no space. It stinks. The only things to do there are go out to eat or drink, like, in my experience. And I just don't think the quality of life there is the same. I know some people talk about, like, the energy of New York, and that's really great if you've experienced that or you feel that, but I don't get it. I think L.A. is so superior to New York. I think the quality of life is better. I think the lifestyle is better. I think it's less expensive. You get Your dollar does go further. You're essentially paying the same in taxes because New York state tax is also crazy, like California state tax. So, you know... I I don't feel like I'm paying more to live here than I would be paying to live anywhere else and I'm getting a higher quality of life. Um, Boston is super expensive. That's probably the only other city that I would live in. Um, You know, Texas, Austin now is also, it's not as expensive as LA or Boston or New York, but it is getting up there in terms of rent prices. You know, you get a little bit more for your dollar in Texas. There's no state income tax, but... You know, that's another like popular area to live in. Where else do people live? Like, I'm not from the Midwest. I don't really have any interest in moving to the Midwest. You know, maybe Chicago, but I don't really have a ton of friends. I have one friend in Chicago. Like, I can't really see myself living there. Um, I've never been though, so I will never say never. Maybe I could love it. But I don't know. LA for me is really just the right place. And I think that's what's important for figuring out where you want to live is like, where's the right place for you that fits these criteria, personal life, lifestyle, professional life. And if you're not sure, go listen to that episode, the third degree priority probe, really good episode. I think that whole concept of like identifying where the optimal place to live is based off of your priority. So like, for example, I hate New York. There are other people who New York is their dream. It's their destiny. It's where they love to live and they think LA sucks. That's totally fine. That's your, that's why it's so important to think about like what's important to you specifically. Um, But for me right now, like this is where I want to live. I don't want, I want to live on the coast. Like I want to live near water. Um, I don't have family or anything in the Midwest. Like, yes, the cost of living there is lower, but why would I live there? Like, It's great if that's where you're from because I feel like then you have roots and like a life there. You know what to do there. But I saw this meme that was like everybody wants to pay a low mortgage, but nobody wants to move to Ohio to do it. And I think that pretty much sums it up. Like I'd rather rent in California than own in Ohio. And 
that's not to say that Ohio is a bad place, but like my point is I get more here and I'm paying for a certain quality of life to have. And it doesn't matter if I could live somewhere less affordable. I don't want to, um, or more affordable. I don't want to. So hopefully that answers that question thoroughly. But that is going to wrap up this Q&A podcast episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. As always, if you want to submit a question, make sure you're following me on Instagram. You can use the code PODCAST1 for $10 off the personal finance dashboard. And don't forget, the year-end masterclass is going to be going away January 31st. So get that if you want it before it expires. And I will catch you in the next episode.